I'm going to invite you this morning to open up your Bible and or else follow along on the screen. The words will be there to Acts chapter 16. We are continuing in a series that we started a number of months ago in the fall, uh, earlier this fall in the book of Acts, and we're at Acts 16. We're going to go through the first 10 verses. So I'm going to invite you again to stand with me if you uh, are able to do that, and we're going to, I'll read these verses for you. The header is Timothy joins Paul and Silas. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to take Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come upon Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. So last night as I was doing a little more preparation on this message and uh, watching the Canucks game at the same time, I I witnessed a pretty amazing goal even though the Canucks uh, lost the game badly. They gave up 14 goals in two games. Isn't this awful? The last two? Anyway... Uh, It just goes to prove that in the world of sports, particularly professional sports, every second counts. The game is not over until it is over. And these players are trained to go hard right till that final buzzer or that final whistle. And also every play is not over until it's over. So uh, yesterday, Hoaglander, young man, went in for uh, a little bit of one-on-one on the goalie and uh, thought he had maybe scored uh, in the five-hole, but the goalie uh, shut it off in his legs and, and the goalie thought he had it trapped in there. He went down into his knees, but the, as his legs parted in the back, there's the puck sitting there, right? And Hoaglander turns around, goes back, digs the puck out and scores. Fantastic goal. He stuck with it right to the end because he knew that the play was not over. This is a little bit of what we see in our text today. The uh, the Apostle Paul, together with uh, Barnabas, they had done this first missionary journey. They had planted churches. They had gone back uh, through Antioch down to Jerusalem where a council met to decide some pretty important matters. And along the way, there was dissension. There was sharp dispute. And at the end of the section, you see a personal uh, falling out between Paul and Barnabas where they parted ways. And Barnabas took John Mark with him on the second missionary journey, which we're into today, started last week actually in our text. 
and uh, and Paul uh, takes. Uh, 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 come on, Silas. Silas with him on, on the second journey. And so there's these bumps in the road along the way, but they're persevering, they're sticking with it, they're staying on mission. The play is not over, the game is not over until it's over. And today we're going to learn, I'm going to highlight four things of what helped them stay on mission. Uh, Nicky Gumbel in my devotions, he said a couple of days ago, he said, from the moment of choice to the moment of triumph, there will be many battles. This is the pattern in the Bible. First comes the call, then the problems. Finally, there is fulfillment. In between, keep persevering and trusting. And this is what we see Paul um, and... uh, Barnabas with John Mark and Silas together with Paul now on this second journey. So how do they stay on mission? I'm going to mention these four things here today. Number one, staying on mission requires strategic discipleship. If you think strategy applies only to professional sports, you're wrong. Strategy applies definitely to the church and the mission that God has called us on. Churches, we... Being the church, have to be strategic and intentional when it comes to sharing, preaching the gospel, which is what the call was all about. That is the goal, is the gospel. How can we be intentional and strategic in it? Verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read these again. So, so Paul came, to, came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He saw, he thought, here's a guy, here's a guy that I want on my team. Just like he chose Silas. If you read earlier in Acts chapter 15, it says that Silas was a leader among the brothers in the church of Jerusalem. It was Silas who was sent by Jerusalem back to Antioch to deliver the decision of the council of Jerusalem to say, okay, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved, but these are the things that we want you to do. Avoid sexual immorality and you know the meat from strangled animals and so on. There was several things that they wanted them to do. And it said that he was also a prophet. He was a man of quality. And so Paul built his team around guys like Silas and a young man like Timothy who had, Paul saw so much potential in and would go on to be an incredible leader in the church later. It's a beautiful example of how Paul exercised the authority of Christ based on Matthew 28 where he said, you know, all of, Jesus said, all authority on earth is, and heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So, so Timothy became a disciple of Paul and he continued to develop him as a disciple because it takes a disciple to make a disciple. <laughs> you got to take a disciple with you to make new disciples. Because I'm not going to be around forever, but there's younger guys than me who will be around longer than, than I will be. And i got to have my eye on those guys, those, those gals. And disciple them so that the mission of God to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach them all I have observed, uh, to teach them all, to observe all I've commanded you can be fulfilled. The goal is to make disciples of all nations. This is so strategic because here is 
Paul picking up Timothy between Antioch and between Asia and Greece, there's this region in there where he had planted churches on his first journey. And he goes back to visit these churches and he discovers Timothy. Timothy happens to be half Jewish from a Jewish believing mother, half Greek, a Greek father. Who better... Who better to take along on this next missionary journey? Because Paul's habit was what? He would go to a place and he would enter a synagogue and he would start talking to Jewish people. And, and Paul was under, like even though a Roman citizen, he's Jewish through and through. Born and bred Jewish, thinks Jewish. He studied his culture for sure. He knew all about the Greek culture. But here he's got a guy who was also Greek. So they would stop at a Jewish synagogue and then when they got basically tossed out of the place because they didn't like what was being said to them about Jesus, they would go to the Gentiles. And on this trip, we see them being diverted into northern Greece, the region of Macedonia. Well, my goodness, Timothy is the perfect guy to have along. And Paul knew this. So a disciple is a learner, a follower, a student of somebody. Ultimately, we're disciples of Jesus, but Timothy was also a disciple of Paul, who would go on to be just like his teacher. You know, Jesus had his disciples. Jesus did not spend that long in active ministry on earth developing his disciples. Three years. That's quick. I mean, I went to Bible college for four years. These guys, these guys were only there for three with Jesus. But it was one-on-one intense discipleship. He had these 12. Then he had his inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And then he got to, had that one that he really invested time with. And that was Peter, who would become a major leader in the church. And Paul did the same thing with a couple of guys. The two that he spent the most time with were Titus and Timothy. He spent. You read the letters of Paul. He spent so much time with people. Every letter, and, and the book of Acts as well, written by Luke, Paul, uh, Paul mentions tons of people that were part of his team. And he, he profiled them. But the, the one, the one that he spent the most time with was Timothy. In fact, the very last letter that Paul ever wrote, he could have written to an entire church. He could have written to churches in an entire region like he did. But he chose to write it to one person, and that was Timothy. So, talking about those letters, uh, and these two opening verses of the first letter to Timothy and the second letter say this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. He was not just uh, any disciple. He was Paul's spiritual son. Timothy came to faith. He was born into the kingdom of God through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and he was so special to Paul. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and of Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So just a few weeks ago when I was reading in my devotions uh, in the book of Second Timothy, uh, Nicky Gumbel, whose who's, uh, devotional I'm following this year, he said this, it's, it's called Your Most Important Task. Great leaders uh, all have one thing in common. 
They know that acquiring and keeping good people is a leader's most important task. Writes John Maxwell in his book, Developing Leaders Around You. He urges his readers, find the best people you can, then develop them into the best leaders they can be. Paul is is uh, condemned in a dark dank dungeon with a hole with just a hole in the ceiling for light and air he is in chains second timothy 116 like a criminal verses chapter 2 verse 9 he is lonely bored and cold death is inevitable according to tradition he was condemned to die by beheading under nero's persecution second timothy is probably his last letter Paul chose to write it to an individual rather than to a church. Timothy was a leader whom Paul had found, trained, and developed. Paul was probably in his 60s and Timothy in his early 30s. As Paul becomes aware that he is handing on the gospel to the next generation, his greatest concern is that Timothy should guard it. The older I get, says Gumble, the more I appreciate the wisdom of the generations before me. And the more I realize the responsibility we all have to pass on the baton to the next generation. And then he goes on to say, all of us can have spiritual children. Paul probably had no natural children, but he had spiritual children. Describing Timothy as my dear son, he led him to faith in the, in the Lord. For 15 years, Timothy had been Paul's companion and had accompanied him on his second and third missionary journeys. You read that in Romans, Thessalonians, and Philippians. Now Timothy is in a position of leadership in Ephesus. So Paul mentions several people in Ephesus and that Paul is there, or Timothy is there, leading that church. We're going to come back to that. Paul mentored, trained, discipled Timothy and passed wisdom onto him. He sets a model of how to develop the next generation of leaders. And then he goes on to talk about how to do that, that we need to love them, pray for them, believe in them, minister to them, encourage them, challenge them, trust them, and share with them. And then, he's, and then he concludes with a prayer. Lord, may I never be lax in doing your work. May our generation be a generation that guards the gospel, develops leaders, and passes it on to the next generation. The first thing that we do to stay on mission is we look around to develop leaders around us, to be strategic in in uh, choosing people and, and uh, to go on to, to in, be entrusted with the gospel to share it with others. The second thing to stay on mission requires sacrificial dedication. Verses 3 and 4. So he took him and circumcised him. Oh, put the time out right there. We just read chapters and chapters in the book of Acts about you do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. There is sharp dissension and dispute about circumcision. And now, and they came to the conclusion, it is not necessary. What does Paul do with Timothy? The first thing is he circumcises him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So here, Paul says, I'm going to circumcise Timothy. If you read Titus, uh, you'll read that uh, this is another protege of Paul's. Titus uh, chapter 1 and and Galatians 2. Paul did not require Titus to be circumcised. It was all about context. 
In Timothy's case, uncircumcision would have been a barrier to the gospel. Whereas in Titus' case, circumcision would have been a barrier to the gospel. If you read context and where they were serving and who they were surrounded with. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul addresses this. Corinth, by the way, is one of the churches that was established on this journey in the region of Macedonia. Paul said, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. My goodness, talk about dedication. This is an irreversible action that Paul took with Timothy. This is significant. Paul said, and then he goes on, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. A sports analogy that even the Apostle Paul used. In, in that level of sports, and the gospel is compared to that level, there is sacrifice required in order to help people understand the greatest news ever, that Jesus is our Savior. Circumcision here was not saving Timothy. It was opening the door so that others could be saved, so that the message could be heard. And in a chapter later, it's not on the screen, but Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10 said, Give no offense, no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they might be saved. So a question I have for myself and for all of us is, what barriers can I bring down to make an impact for the kingdom of God? What barriers can I put down? What things in my life can I put aside and deny so that others can hear the good news of Jesus or see the good news of Jesus? What are you willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? And you know what? The, the seeds to Timothy's commitment and sacrificial dedication were sown long before Timothy was born. <laughs> He was dedicated to the Lord. He was taught in the ways of the Lord by his mother Eunice and by his grandmother Lois. Second Timothy, Paul reminds him of that. And then based on that, to fan and to flame the gifts that had been given to Timothy. And so parents your, and grandparents, your greatest sacrifice is to remove the barriers to your own kids' coming to faith in Christ because they could be the next Timothy. They could be the next Timothy that someone identifies and says, you are going to be a leader in the church. You are going to share the gospel with the nations. That's the mindset that we need to have as parents as well. 
So there's two two, um, sacrifices that were made here. One was circumcision of Timothy, and the other was delivering the decision of the elders, which they continued to do through all these churches. And both of these are not easy things. Like delivering a decision of the elders, (laughs) sometimes, you know how the saying, don't shoot the messenger? It's like, no, 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 I'm 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 just giving you what the elders decided, okay? It's not easy. It was a sacrificial thing for them to do. Okay, number three, staying on mission requires, I didn't know how to word this, I called it surge daily, just to um, stay with my literary form. The church increased in numbers daily because they were strengthened by what they saw in Paul, in Timothy, in, uh, in the Silas. Uh, the church had a powerful forward or upward movement, which is what a surge means. It was growth, advancement. They increased. The word increased literally is to experience so much abundance and growth that there is an, there, there exists a large quantity, in fact, to be left over. That's what the original word means. There's so much that there's even leftovers. They saw this on a daily basis. Daily. And I had, to, I had to think to myself, if I want to be um, if I want to be focused on staying on mission, I need to have a daily mindset. And I think sometimes why we get sidetracked so easily in our culture is that we don't have this daily mindset on the gospel. Do we expect the church to grow daily? Do we expect ourselves to have an impact in the kingdom of God on a daily basis? I had to ask myself, am I just a Sunday Christian? I mean, people come up to me and, and say all the time, so Ellen, what do, you, what do you do like the other six days of the week? I mean, really, you only work, you know, an hour a week. What do you do with your time? <laughs> and I think we need to ask ourselves that very same question. What do we do seven days a week, 24-7 for the kingdom of God? Every daily, the increase in numbers daily literally means every day. That's what that word means. Every day. Daily growth happens when churches are strengthened in the faith. And churches are strengthened in the faith when there is daily growth. It is like this energized cycle. You know, you have a crazy cycle. It just keeps going round and round. This is a positive energized cycle where one feeds off the other. They're encouraged, they grow. They grow, they're encouraged. Daily. And so we need the same mindset. I think one of the reasons why they were encouraged is that Paul surrounded himself by encouraging people. So Barnabas is the guy who encouraged Paul, encouraged the apostles in Jerusalem, the church leaders, to say he's actually a good guy. He's not a threat like you think he is. And then um, Silas, whom Paul took with on this journey, it says in chapter 15, verse 32, that Silas was an encourager. It's no wonder this church was strengthened. It's no wonder that it grew. Because Paul surrounded himself by verbally encouraging people. And it paid off. And I was thinking to myself as I was preparing this sermon, what would happen if you, all of you this morning, what would happen if you made it your goal to do nothing but be a verbal encourager? in the church to new disciples to the leaders of your church 
what would happen to this place, to Central, if you made it your one goal, even one, to be a, a verbal encourager? There's a, there's a guy at our campus in Agassiz that I've known for quite a while, older gentleman, and I get, I get regular emails from him that are so encouraging. So encouraging. He is a champion. And he prays for me every day. And he lets me know um, all of the encouraging stuff. Well, every once in a while, he'll, he'll question things like that have been said or have been done, but he does it in such a good way that you can't help but question, not question his motive, right? He's helpful. He's so helpful. The other day, I know our time, our time is getting on here, but... Our church received uh, an email. Pastor Matt received an email from uh, a guy. I think he attends our promontory campus. Who is having a conversation with another person on our staff. And also a friend who is struggling with his church. In terms of leadership and sermon content. And all of that kind of stuff. And, and, he, and he says this. These conversations open my eyes to how differently Central approaches a lot of things. Between the Sunday preaching, intentional outreach, seminars, studies, podcasts, and articles put out by Central, my family and I are always greatly encouraged. I told Andy how lucky we were to have a pastoral team that engages so fearlessly with the world around them. It shows a confidence in Jesus and the power of the gospel to be bigger than it all and a humbleness that we must trust things to the Lord's hand. There are no taboo subjects, topics, or ideas at our church. Amongst the staff and parishioners, there's an open discourse and discussion centered and rooted on the completed work of Christ and the power of a living God. I've been accused of being verbally, of being verbose, so I wrap it up here. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your intentionality. Every year that goes by, I'm attending Central. I find myself challenged to grow in my understanding of the gospel. This is the stuff that strengthens churches and helps us grow when people are so encouraging and they tell us and we tell each other. So let's keep doing that. The last thing that uh, is required to stay on mission real quick, but the most significant, is a spirit-led direction. If you didn't notice, the majority of this text is made up of the Holy Spirit. They went through the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit forbade them to go into Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, man of Macedonia, urging him and saying, come on over to Macedonia to help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, forbidden, did not allow them. The word means they were prevented, they were hindered, they were not allowed to go. So why would God say no? Or was it a no? Or was it a maybe, you can do this later? I think there's a bit of both. Paul, as far as we know, never went to Bithynia, but he certainly did go to Asia. There's a map here that uh, hopefully it's not too small, but I just want to show you a little bit. So this journey started in Jerusalem, in Judea, down here. 
up to Damascus, to Antioch, and then as they went around Antioch into the region of Cilicia there is where they picked up Timothy, uh, Paul and, and Silas. They picked up Timothy there, and then they visited the churches, uh, Derby, Lystra, you know, Iconium, um, Antioch in Pisidia, and then they're going through northern Asia, A- Asia Minor, into the region of Mysia, that's that red area there, the, the darker, the red. And then from Mysia, right there in northern Asia, they're like, where do we go? Should we go down into Asia, like down to Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, Philadelphia, in that area? Or should we take off north to Bithynia and Pontus? And that's where the Holy Spirit said, time out. You're not going to Asia, and you're not going to Bithynia. I want you to go to Macedonia because of a vision. Man, the Lord needs to give us more visions. And this was not a figment. The word here, it's not a figment of imagination. This is real. What Paul saw was real. He literally saw someone in a vision saying, come and help us, come and help us. Now, if you read the Gospel of Peter, First Peter, he mentions ministry in Bithynia. It could very well be that before Paul ever even went on his first missionary journey, or the second one for sure, the Apostle Peter was already in Bithynia doing ministry and establishing churches. Because he mentions Bithynia in his in First Peter. Ephesus is where... So they, they make a brief stop in Ephesus on second journey where that's coming up in coming weeks before they head back to Jerusalem again, before they go back to headquarters. But they spend all this time in uh, northern Greece first. Who would end up being the church leader in Ephesus? Timothy. By the way, it's where the apostle John and the mother of Jesus both lived and went to church. <laughs> the apostle John eventually was exiled to Patmos, but that's where the apostle John did ministry. But Timothy was his pastor. Ephesus was a hard place. And I don't think Timothy would have been, as a, as a young convert, a new disciple, would have been ready for Ephesus had he not done that whole trek first. And one of the reasons I believe this is because when they hit Berea in northern Greece, do you remember what uh, the the, um, Acts says about Berea? The Bereans, they were of more noble character than anyone else because they studied diligently the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. Well, lo and behold, who does Paul leave in Berea? Timothy. He says, Timothy, you stay there for a while. I'm going to carry on. And he ends up in Corinth. And from Corinth, Paul now says, okay, Timothy, come back and join me here because there's a good work being established. Timothy is getting Bible school training in Berea. He was not allowed to go to Ephesus first. And there was a reason. The need. The need in northern Asia. uh, Greece. There was two different kinds of need. The people were poor. And you talk, you know, for the you read through Corinthians, how, uh, you know, um, an offering was taken up for these people because they were so poor. Aid was sent from Jerusalem and places like that. But they also, like they took up, a, out of their poverty, they met the need of people in Jerusalem. But these people were poor, poor. And that's where Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He went to them in their poverty, that they might realize their need for Jesus. 
in Corinth and in northern uh, Greece. And, um, and they needed the gospel. The primary help, the man from Macedonia saying, come over and help. It wasn't just in a physical sense because they were poor. They were spiritually poor. And the greatest way that we can help people, come and help us, is by preaching the gospel. The gospel is the greatest help that we can give people. And we often shy away because we think, oh, if I get in their face, so to speak, and I open my mouth, I'm going to be manipulating them or making them feel uncomfortable or pushing something on them that they... Now there's a style for sure. But Paul said the greatest help based on the vision that people have, come and help us, come and help us, is that they need to know about Jesus. Colossians 1. Um, how, do, how do we discern the voice of the Spirit? That's a whole other topic. But I like what Paul wrote in Colossians 1. It's on the screen here. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. We need to ask God to fill us. Fill us with knowledge of His will through wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Do you pray that the Spirit will fill you? Do you pray that He'll give you knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that you can please Him and and bear fruit in every good work? That's what we need to do. So as we wrap it up, let's make this personal and come back to these things. How, what, what can you do? What can I do to help Central stay on mission? Number one, who can you identify that you can mentor? Who is your disciple? Do you have a son or daughter in the faith? Just one. Imagine if we all picked one Timothy. Not only would the size of this congregation double, <laughs> but those disciples would go on to make many more and we'd experience exponential growth. What are you willing to give up to share the gospel? What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to move beyond being a Sunday Christian? Who can you commit to be an encourager to today? And will you actively listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for uh, the light that it sheds for our, our daily lives. And I pray that you would help us to implement even one thing that we heard in this sermon today. One thing that will help us and this church stay on mission. So give us that grace. I thank you for this congregation. I pray that many doors for the gospel would be opened in Lake Arok. And that one day the books of history would be, would be opened and we would see people's names and their disciples making an impact in this area. The Spirit calling people to go here, to go here, to help people to share the good news of Jesus. Lord, would you open that kind of ministry up among us, in us, through us, for your glory, for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.